0: As we think about the title of the sermon, Productive Branches in the Vineyard of the Lord. In the book of John, Jesus is identified as the Word who became flesh. And we know that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. He was God incarnate. And also in the book of John, Jesus identifies himself by using the expression I am. He used that on several occasions. For example, in John 6 and verse 35, he says, I am the bread of, the bread of life. In John 10, 11 and 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. It was in John eleven twenty-five 25 that he talks about, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Jesus is pictured here as the vine, and our Heavenly Father is pictured as the husbandman, the vine dresser. And we, as His disciples, are spoken of as branches in verse 5. So, how is it that we can relate to the vine, and what is our purpose? as we live in the vineyard of the Lord. Well, the first thing that I want you to notice as we think about what Jesus says here in John chapter 15, it has to do with our fellowship to the vine or our relationship to the vine. And Jesus, in a very explicit way, is going to talk about this very close relationship, if you will, this fellowship that we enjoy with him as the vine the first thing that we read about in john 15 as jesus uses this figure has to do with life in the vine jesus said verse one i am the true vine and my father is the husbandman but notice verse two every branch in me now one of the things that you and i need to understand and appreciate is that jesus the christ as the son of god as the vine is really the source of all life. He is the source of all life. If you and I are going to enjoy true life, then we have to abide in the vine. We have to be a part of that vine. Now Jesus is going to talk about that in verse 5 when he says, For without me ye can do nothing. You can do nothing outside of Christ. You and I are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. And yet in Christ, abundant blessings reside there. In John 14, verse 6, the very passage that I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Right? Now Jesus is the source of life. For he is the one that makes life available to us. Now, as we think about our fellowship or our relationship to the vine, as I said a moment ago, our life is in the vine. Here are just a couple of things that we need to see. Number one, Jesus said in verse three, now Jesus in this context or setting is talking to his disciples. But he said, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. We talk about the power of God's Word on different occasions. And it was the Hebrew writer who says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Paul talks about the power of the gospel and even the powerful gospel has the ability to save. Now, John tells us in John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is what ultimately brings about salvation in the lives of people. And when we respond in faith to the very message of the gospel of Christ, it is then that we enjoy salvation or a liberation from our sin. And so the idea of being made clean through the word is appropriate. And then I think about passages such as James 1 and verse 21, where James stresses, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is what? Able to save your soul." Well, now, with that in mind, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. He says, in whom, who's that? In Christ ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, so here Jesus is stressing the fact that they have been made clean because of his word, because of, of the gospel but then also we think about communion with the vine and this has to do with what i think underscores this fellowship that we enjoy with the lord himself look again at verse one he says i am the true vine and my what my father is the husbandman look at verse five i am the vine ye are the branches right And so we enjoy this fellowship with deity. Think about this. You and I, as the children of God, those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we have put our Lord on in baptism. That is, we belong now to the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 that we were bought with a price, didn't he? Now, he points out that we are not our own we no longer belong to ourselves we belong to christ now the lord jesus christ bought and paid for us that is he redeemed us and so our purpose is to bring glory and honor to almighty god himself what about this fellowship what about this communion that we enjoy moment ago we understood that we have this very special relationship with the lord right The Apostle John, who wrote sometime in the latter part of the first century, possibly about 95 or 96 AD, but in the book of 1 John, he talks about the incarnate Christ. And he points out that the people of his day, that is, the apostles, the disciples, they saw the Lord. They heard the Lord, and they touched the Lord. And he says there in verse 3, he said, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we enjoy a sense of fellowship or communion with the vine. And so, first of all, there is life in the vine, but then there's also love in the vine. Go back to John chapter 15, and notice verse 9, if you will. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye ye, in my word. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full." And so here Jesus is stressing to us the tremendous love that he has for those of us who belong to him. But then drop down to verse 13 and notice he also said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus literally gave his life for you and me as his friends. He left the glories of heaven and came to planet earth to walk among mankind and was ultimately crucified between two thieves. Why? Because of his great love for us. That's what we learn. Because of the Father's love for all of mankind and because God's plan was for his son to execute his plan of redemption. And so we talk about the love of the vine. There are people in our world today There are people in this city that if you would ask them point blank, does anyone love you? They might just give you a stare as what are you talking about? They might even respond by saying no, right? But I can tell you and them of somebody that loves every person. And that is the Lord Jesus. In John 15 Jesus stresses his great love for those of us who belong to the human family. Now, the Lord has deeply loved us, and not only has he verbalized his love toward us, but he's also demonstrated his love toward us. He demonstrated by giving his life on Calvary, taking our place, a vicarious death for us, for our sins. But then there is a second thing I want you to notice in our text tonight. As we think, first of all, of our fellowship or our relationship to the vine. But then secondly, we want to look at our faithfulness or our responsibility to the vine. And this has to do with the fact that he is that true vine and we are the branches. Now, of course, there are certain responsibilities, and we understand that, that are present in this ongoing relationship, right? And so with that in mind, let's note some of the passages of Scripture that really stresses our faithfulness to the Lord. Now, when we talk about faithfulness, there is this idea of loyalty, right? The idea of loyalty. What does it mean to be loyal? We need to be reliable, right? We need to be trustworthy. That's what the Lord desires of us. And so it is our duty to be faithful. How then can we be faithful? Well, look at what Jesus said, beginning in verse 4. Some four times, Jesus is going to use the expression, abide in me. And this is very important. If we are to be, if we are to be faithful to the Lord, if we're to be responsible as branches in the vineyard of the Lord we would have to abide in him. So listen to him, starting with verse four there. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing If a man abide not in in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, then then shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. And so over and over again, Jesus is stressing the importance of abiding in him. There is this, correlation between abiding in Christ and abiding in the word of Christ. You you can't separate the two, can you? In John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus said, if ye continue or abide in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The idea is what we have to do is that we have to be willing to follow his word. That is to do what it says, what he says. Now of interest in 1 John 2 and verse 3, John tells us there that hereby we do know that we know him. How then can we tell whether or not we have that right kind of relationship with the Lord? Well, here's the acid test. He goes on to say, if we keep his commandments. You see, that's, that's it. If we want to abide in him, and him in us, then we need to keep his commandments. If you want to know whether or not you have a relationship with the Lord, if you want to know whether or not you're in good standing with the Lord Jesus Christ, then what do you gotta do? You gotta keep his commandments. It's simple as that, isn't it? Follow his word, do what he says, abide in him. That's what Jesus is saying here. And the Lord is stressing it over and over again if you want to have a beautiful relationship with me as a true vine, Jesus says, you've got to abide in me. And abide in me means to abide in my word. You see how those two can't be separated? You got to stay true to the word. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is, in heaven imagine somebody saying that they have a relationship with the lord but they seem to ignore his word what would you think about that kind of person you know jesus asked this question and why call you me lord lord and do not the things which i say right luke 6 46 that was matthew 7 21 earlier But John said that our willingness to adhere to the commands of God is a demonstration or a manifestation of our love love for the Lord. And so in 1 John 5, 3, Jesus said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. In John 15, 14, he says, Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. So how do we show our love for God? By doing what he says. Not adding to or taking away from the word of God. Doing what he says. Think about the relationship that we have sustained to our children. How do our children show their love for us? Well, by doing what we ask them to do, right? By asking them, by, they, by showing honor to us as their mother or father by doing what we have asked them to do. That's one of the ways that they show their love and they show their appreciation for us as their parents. Well, God is our heavenly father, isn't he? He is our heavenly father. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our great love for him is doing what he said. Now notice the danger. Our duty is faithfulness, but the danger is faithlessness, or living what we might call a fickle life, right? Have you ever known somebody who's fickle? I have on occasion. I'm not talking about a pickle, I'm talking about someone fickle, right? (laughs) That's right, fickle, somebody who's fickle is one you can't trust. They're they're wishy-washy, I guess you can say. Uh, One time way over here and another time way over there. And you don't know what they stand for and what they're all about. Sometimes that's the way people are who claim to be disciples of the Lord. The only problem is is that you can't count on them. So listen to what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There are a lot of people in our world today, in this religious world, that have the idea that once saved, always saved Calvinism. There are any number of verses in the Old and the New Testament that destroys that kind of thinking. It's not in harmony with what the Bible teaches. But in John 15 and verse 6, Jesus emphatically states that if we do not abide in Him. now. If I understand my English language correctly, that meant at one time they were abiding him, but if they do not abide in him, abiding means a continuation, doesn't it? But if you do not abide in me, in his word, then we face the danger of being burned under this figure. And I think the idea is that we become a castaway, a castaway. We face ultimately the judgment of Almighty God. There are a lot of verses in the New Testament that talk about the danger of becoming a what? An apostate. That means you were once there, but you're no longer there. Once there, oh, that's the fickle people. That's the wishy you Once there, but no longer there. An apostate. Now, there's an illustration about one of the old gospel preachers in the restoration area uh, raccoon john smith and he was basically trying to impress upon those that were in the assembly the, the danger of falling away and so what he did was grab a a hold of a tree limb and he asked this question if i let go will i fall away well we we understand the answer to that question don't we the answer is yes If you and I let go of the teaching of the Word of God, if we let go, if we let our faith slip, guess what? We will fall away. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 2? He talked about those who were drifting away spiritually. He talked about those who were slipping, spiritually speaking, and that's what happens. You see, if you and I fail to stay in the Word, and we fail to strive to the best of our ability to abide in Christ and to abide in His Word, then we're in danger of falling away and becoming a castaway. But thirdly, tonight we talked about our fellowship to the vine. We also stressed the looking at John 15, not just our fellowship to the vine, but our faithfulness to the vine. But now I want you to think about our fruitfulness to the vine. Look, if you will, beginning in verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That means he prune it. That it may bring forth more fruit. Now look at verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Our livelihood as the people of God is ultimately to bear fruit. That is to bring honor and glory to God. Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified if and when we bear fruit. And so we find here that there's a figure here that is employed by Jesus. Now back up to verse 2. Here Jesus talks about every branch that bears fruit. He does what? He prunes it. He purges it. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. Now those of you that like to spend time in the yard and, and you understand it, if you trim a tree or a bush, and if you cut away those branches, then by pruning... That tree or that shrub, that bush, it will ultimately yield more fruit, more bush, right? Or it will make it grow more abundantly. If you have fruit trees in your yard, of course, if you prune it in just the right area and at the right time, it's going to bring forth more fruit or grow more abundantly. And what Jesus is saying here is is that by the pruning process, growth emerges now, now, Jesus is not talking about a physical bur- bush or a physical shrub here, shrub, but he's talking about a spiritual life. And he's saying that this, when the spiritual life of a child of his is pruned, that growth is spawned. How does that occur? Well, how is it that through this pruning process that you and I can grow as a child? There are at least three ways that I can think of. Number one is by teaching, by teaching. Teaching is a very important process in the life as a Christian. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20. When he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, we have to lay a foundation. And then build upon that foundation. When you look at the book of Hebrews, and particularly in chapter 5, the writer talks about solid food or solid meat in contrast to milk, right? And now when a person obeys the gospel, Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? So that you may grow thereby. 1 Peter 2.2. And so the longer that you and I stay in the word, spend studying the Word of God, listening as the Word of God is being preached or taught, the longer that we're willing to receive the instruction to be taught, the more growth will take place. That's pretty simple enough as well, isn't it? Now, let me ask you this question. How much growth have you experienced over the past year, 2020? 2020? I would hope and pray, spiritually speaking, you know more about the Word of God. You know more about God Himself. We were shut down there for a little while. and There was nothing else you could do, but maybe, well, I don't know. Hopefully, you were studying your Word, the Word of God, studying the Bible. We had more time on our hands being cooped up inside our homes for a while. Or were we? too busy wondering if this was the end of the world. So many naysayers out there in the world thinking that was the end of the world and they forgot about God in the moment. It could be that you know more in the past four months than you learned even last year altogether. Being able to be here, to be uh, available and be able to receive it, not, not just through Facebook Live, nothing against you all watching on Facebook Live, but able to be able to be here, to be able to be in fellowship, even though you can't hug and tug and punch or pull and shake hands or whatever you want to do, but to be here in fellowship, right? Maybe certainly you know more than you did two years ago or even five years or 10 years ago. You see, Christianity is a growing religion. It's a growing It entails a growth process. And there's no way that you can separate teaching and instruction from spiritual growth. Now, Peter talks about growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. And so you and I, when we spend time in Bible study, when we spend time in the morning or in the evening or maybe sometime around lunch or whatever... You see, opening the pages of the Bible and reading the Word of God, maybe reading some commentaries and doing some word studies, what are we doing? What we are doing is that we're enhancing our spiritual growth. And Jesus is talking about this pruning process that ultimately spawns growth. And so first there, is, there has to be teaching, but then there also has to be training as well. Now, in Titus 2, Paul talks about how the older men and the older women are to teach the younger men and the younger women. But they are to teach them certain important truths, certain important things. Now, one of the realms that the older women are to teach the younger women is in the realm of the domestic duties. How to take care of the home, right? They are to love their husbands, to love their children and so forth. But there's not only teaching, but training that takes place here. What we are trying to do is to train people for the service in the kingdom of God. Take, for example, the program that we have for our young people. We, we, we're not able to do it right now, but we have been doing it. Where we had like a pew packers class or a we sing class. And then we get up here and we would talk about the things that are in the Bible. We would actually list them where they are. If you want to know about the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to know about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, Matthew 19. If you want to know, and so on and so forth. And we we're instilling that into those children to the point that they could actually rattle it off to you. And you could ask them, well, where's Noah found in the Bible? Oh, they're going to say Genesis 6. You see? Where, 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 was the, where did God create the heavens and the earth? Genesis 1 you know and so on and so forth that they know this stuff and so we were training them because if we look at our young people they are the future of the church if the lord wills they are the ones that are going to ultimately be leading the church in the next generation and so it only stands the reason that we teach and we train them so that one day who knows these children might become preacher daughters I mean, preacher wives. They have to be preacher wives first. They could be elder wives, deacons' wives. And you can just see how that goes. I'm sure you're just conjuring up all kinds of other things. It could be as well, just faithful members of the church, Bible school teachers, and so forth. You understand what my point is altogether. One of the ways that we do that is to teach and to train them. And then there's a third way that growth takes place, and it's through trials. You might ask, well, how do trials and tribulations of life aid my spiritual growth? Notice what James said. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James one, two and four, two through four. I am not at that point in time in my spiritual life when I relish every trial that comes down the pike. Maybe you agree, maybe you are, or I don't know. But I do see some viable benefits to the trials and the tribulations of life. Because you see, when you and I are experiencing When you and I are experiencing trials and hardships and difficulties, those trials and those hardships can do one of two things. They can either build our faith or they can break our faith. Very important. Now what God wants you to do is to allow those trials and those tribulations and those difficulties, He wants you to use those things as stepping stones to your spiritual maturity. I'm a better person because of that trial I just went through. I'm a better person because of the difficulty and the, the tribulation that I had to endure. That is to help better equip us to serve him. Now think about what the Apostle Paul prayed to the Lord three times. That his thorn in the flesh may be removed. What was his thorn in the I don't know. But it was something that, that hindered him a little bit. But he prayed three times that it may be removed. Was it removed? I don't know either. All right? The scriptures don't tell us. But God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 6, 9. I mean, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9. What was the lesson that the Lord was trying to teach the Apostle Paul? Thy strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's right. The idea is that we come to depend and trust upon God more and more each day when we face those difficulties in life. Look at the life of Joseph. Go back and just read about Joseph. You want to talk about a young man that faced some hardships and injustice in life and yet who would say that those hardships and those injustices did not make him a better servant of God? Who would say that it didn't? It did. Think about some of the difficulties that Moses, Moses faced in his lifetime. Moses was a great leader among the, the Israelite people. And yet, Moses had to understand that God was the one who was ultimately in control. What about that great prophet, Daniel? Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. And yet, who would say that his difficulties and his trials that he experienced did not make him a better servant, a greater servant? of the Lord and what about Hananiah Mishael, and Azariah better known as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego right thrust into the burning fiery furnace furnace do you think that they had great trust and dependence on God you know it you know it Job that great part, patriarch of the past I don't know how anyone could have borne up with the strength that he demonstrated but I'm thankful that he did because I can go back and read the book of Job, and I can see that if he can do it, I can, you can do it. Put your faith and trust in God and depend on Him. Job said, "Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him." But I will maintain mine own eyes before Him. Job thirteen fifteen. Job faced some trials and tribulations, and it wasn't God that put those on him. God allowed Satan to do it. But they made him a better servant in the meantime. The idea is that through this pruning process, as we experience the trials of life, that they will help to deepen our faith. To deepen our faith and make us become more fit for service in the vineyard of the Lord. And so by way of closing, let me ask you this question. Are you a productive vine in the vineyard of our Lord? If not, why not? Jesus said, I am the true vine, and ye are the branches. Jesus said that without me, you can do nothing. There are a lot of people in our world that are trying to make a life. But the only problem is, is that they forgot to include the Lord in their making a life. And without the Lord, you can't do anything. What if you could have everything in this old world and yet you don't have Christ. What do you have? Because on judgment day it's not going to be the question well what all do you own and what did you gain throughout this life? What was your best lesson in life? It's not going to be that question. The question is going to be What did you do for me? You can't do anything. You can't be anything. And you can't have anything. Anything that is of a lasting...